Hey, we are in week three of our Vision Month. Now, if this is your first time here, we've spent two weeks already. Um, and you can go to our YouTube channel if you would like. It's really important that you see those first two weeks around where we believe God is calling us as a church family of all of our churches as New Life. You see, there's four lenses and priorities that are close to the heart of New Life because we believe they're actually close to the heart of God. And as a church, we're actually called to join the work of God as we gather the lost, glue people into community, grow as disciples, and then go on mission. So the first week I preached on being fishers of people, where Peter has this encounter with Jesus, and he sees him and he says, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. He understands a glimpse of who Jesus is, and he's like, get away from me. I shouldn't be near you. You are so holy. And Jesus says, don't fear. I'm going to make you a fisher of people. And that's a call God has on each and every one of us to, to gather the lost, gather people to the gospel. And then last week, Pastor David preached on gathering or gluing people into community, the importance of people coming together and having genuine relationship with each other because our God, he's a Trinitarian God, right? So from eternity past, he has been in this perfect, loving relationship with himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we're made in the image of God. So we're created to be glued in community. And this week, we're going to be looking at grow. What it means as individuals and as a church community to grow in our faith. The scripture I'm going to be looking at today is Matthew 28, and it starts in verse 18. It says, Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to absorb all the things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. But before we get into the message, I'd love to pray. So would you please join me in prayer? Oh, Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your word, for your word is truth, God. Lord, would you prepare our hearts and our minds to receive the truth of your word? And Lord, would you help me preach it with truth and grace and love that, Lord, they wouldn't look to me in the end, that only look to you, the one who brings life and life in all its fullness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'd like to start with a question. Who or what is discipling you? And Paul in Romans, he actually talks about this fact that there, that there are things that form us that we need to be aware of. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. What's Paul saying here? He's saying that there are things that are going to form you. Is it the world that's going to form you, the culture that is around you, those that are speaking around you into your life, or are you going to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by the Word of God, by the power and indwelling of the Holy Spirit? Who or what is forming you? Now, remember, this was a reality for me when I became a Christian. I became a Christian in adulthood, and so I lived my entire life up to then doing whatever I pleased. 
And I was working as a crane driver on the wharves as a docky with about 300 other blokes and everybody swore, right? That was just the language on the wharves. Everyone just swore all the worst words you could imagine. That was just our language. And I became a Christian and I felt the Holy Spirit convicted me going, no, Scott, I'm calling you to something different. I'm calling you to be an example in the darkness. And so I got this conviction that my words should be different to everyone else's. And I remember going on this journey of, of not swearing. And, you know, it was really hard because often I'd come to work and they'd be like, what did you do on the weekend? And I'd go, I went surfing. It was like, how do I express myself? It was really good. <laughs> but I had to learn a way to do it, right? Because God was calling me to something different. But here was the thing. In times of anger or in shock, a word would slip out every now and again. And it broke my heart because my sole desire was to follow God and be rid of that. And I remember driving home and it would take me over an hour to drive home in the afternoon. And I remember just crying out to God, just going, God, I need you to, to transform me. I can't do this. I, I, just see, I can't seem to get over this totally. Why don't you just do it? And I really felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit just whisper to me and say, are you in or are you out? Like, Scott, are you willing to fight the fight against all the culture and everything around you? Are you in or are you out? I said, God, I'm in. And if I'm going to fight this the rest of my life, I'm in because it's worth it because what you did for me. And so there was this holy discontent with my growth in Christ. There was this deep soul desire to be transformed by the Holy Spirit. But there was this war going on in me, this war between my, my desire, my soul desire, and my flesh, my natural sinful state. There was this war between my new identity in Christ and the old man that was meant to be crucified with Christ. There was war within me between my heavenly calling and the worldly ways that were just all around me. And here's the thing. I still today have this deep status dissatisfaction with my spiritual condition. I still hunger and thirst for more spiritual growth, for more transformation into the likeness of Jesus. Do you hunger and thirst for transformation? Do you have a deep desire or conviction from the Holy Spirit to grow in faith and become more Christ-like? Are you willing to be formed by the Word of God and the ways of Jesus? You see, our mission statement is more people, more like Jesus. And I love this. And this biblical word for this formation, this journey of growth, this transformation in a Christian is discipleship. But what is the definition of a disciple? If you ask different pastors, they give you different answers. So it can be hard to define what it is. But by definition, a disciple is a follower. One who accepts and assists in the spreading of doctrines of another person. So the Greek term for disciple in the New Testament is mathetes, I never say it right, which actually means, it means more than a student, more than a learner, it actually means a follower, someone who adheres completely to the teacher's teachings, making the teacher's life, their rule of life and how they actually live. So they completely adhere to the teachings, they completely adhere to the teacher's way of life, and they completely adhere to the teacher's doctrines and their beliefs. So therefore, a Christian disciple is a person who follows Jesus. A Christian disciple accepts and assists in the spreading of the good news of Jesus Christ. So what it is, is it's this process by which a person grows and is formed by the Lord Jesus, and they're equipped by the Holy Spirit to overcome the world. 
to walk in the ways of Jesus. So it's an apprenticeship to Jesus. We walk this journey and we're looking at the ways and the works and the words of Jesus and we're going, that's how I live my life. We take on Jesus' doctrines and beliefs about who the Father is and who we are in his sight. And we follow him. Following means actually obedience. It's being obedient to his commands. And it's never-ending. We don't graduate from being a disciple. Now that I'm a pastor, it doesn't mean I'm done. It's this never-ending pursuit of Jesus. And there's three things I want us to understand. But more than that, I want us to believe in our hearts about discipleship. One is discipleship is a command. Two, discipleship is in relationship. And three, discipleship is following Jesus. And in Matthew 28, he comes to them, he says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And he says, teach them to to obey everything that I've commanded you. See, at this moment, Jesus is about to ascend into heaven. It's his last opportunity to speak life into his disciples. And he says to them, this is what I'm going to leave with you. Go and make disciples. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I am the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So I am telling you as the King of kings and Lord of lords to go and make disciples. And here's the thing. If we claim to be followers of Jesus, if we claim that he is Lord and God, then we should obey his direct command to go and make disciples too. You see, Jesus always comes asking his disciples not just to follow him, not just accept him, not just believe in him or worship him, but really truly follow in his ways. We either follow Christ or we don't. There's actually no in between. We either make him Lord of all or we make him Lord of nothing. This means if you're a disciple, your discipleship journey includes making disciples. And this is going to sound really judgmental. But if you disagree, then you're directly disagreeing with the command of God. Jesus doesn't say, if you're good at discipling, go and make disciples. Or if you're a pastor or a church elder, go and make disciples. Or if you know the Bible backwards, go and make disciples. No. He says, go and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. What does everything mean? Not a trick question. Yes. Great. Everything, right? That would include the command he gives his disciples to go and make disciples. And for far too long in the Western church, we believe this is just the church's job or the ministry team's job to make disciples. But Jesus is calling all of us. In Matthew 28, we've interpreted that to say, go and make believers. Like, just go and make believers. Once they believe in Jesus, once they're saved, good, we're done. Our job is done. But Jesus doesn't say that. He commands us that we go and make disciples, not believers. And to be real for a moment, discipleship and making disciples should be a fruit of salvation. It should be a fruit of being filled with the Holy Spirit. It should be a fruit of our faith. And Jesus talks about this in John 14, 23. And Jesus answered and said to them, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. I love how Jesus says, If you love me, you will obey me. He doesn't say, If you love me, you must obey me. He says, If you love me, you will obey my word. It will be a natural outpouring of our relationship together. 
And that includes the commission to make disciples. But I love how he gives us the promise, though. He says, if you obey me, my Father and I will come and will live in you. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we will empower you to live out the commission. Now, do we always obey Jesus perfectly? No, I mean, at least I don't. But there is this desire in my heart to follow Jesus, to obey his commands. And that's born out of love. That's born out of God's mercy and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. What if we were a church where everyone believed in the command, the great command of Jesus in Matthew 28? That we all believed that we were to be engaged in discipleship in some form. Man, we would have a church full of people producing amazing spiritual fruit. And nothing could stop the work of God if we were all sold out to grow in our faith and grow with others in our faith into the likeness of Jesus. So the question is, how do I make disciples? Like, it seems like a hard thing to do, right? Like, how do I actually go out and fulfill what Jesus is calling me to? And it seems like such an important commission that we don't want to stuff it up. So often fear or lack of knowledge stops us from engaging and making disciples. So what we do is we go, oh, it just seems too hard, so we don't attempt it, and we just stick it in the too hard box. But this is where Jesus helps us understand this discipleship is in relationship, which is my second point. It's actually not that hard. And you might be saying to me, yeah, sure, Scott, it's not hard. It's actually not. It's simply coming close in relationship with God and with other Christians. When we come into a deep relationship with God and his church and other believers, we are naturally transformed because we're designed to be in relationship with God and with others. This was Jesus' plan for the world and for the church that the world would be affected in and through the church, which is the gathering of the saints, the gathering of believers. It's a gathering of you guys, of disciples coming together in relationship to grow in God's grace and his word and his faith and in his love. Do you know, this was Jesus' method of discipleship. So if we want to see a method of how we should disciple in relationship, we look at Jesus. Jesus taught the multitudes. He fed the 5,000 and the 4,000. He spoke to thousands and thousands of people, but he had a smaller group of about 70 that he would send out. So he had a closer relationship with the 70. Then he had an even closer relationship with the 12. He had the 12 apostles, where he put more time and energy and they lived with him and walked with Jesus to see how he lived in every situation. So he had the close 12. Then he had the close three. When he went up into the Mount of Transfiguration, he had... Peter, James, and John with him. So there was even a closer three that he had relationship with that he was discipling to lead his church. But then I would even argue there was the one. Because when you read the Gospels of John, he talks about the disciple whom Jesus loved. And this disciple at the end of the Last Supper is, is so close to Jesus, he's literally leaning on his chest. And the other disciples would say to him, hey, hey you asked Jesus. That's how close he had a relationship with him. You see, the disciples grew in relationship with Jesus and with each other. So deep, intimate relationship was Jesus' strategy for discipleship. And it should be ours if we're followers of Jesus. The problem we have today is in our digital age, we're becoming increasingly more and more individual or individualistic. We're lonely and we're separate from a deep connection. And so what we do is we go to this digital platform for discipleship. And we think that'll work. 
So what we do is we watch YouTube messages from our favourite preachers and we think that that is discipleship. Listening to lots of preachers online, it's not bad. I do it. I listen to lots of preachers. It's good for knowledge, but where's the accountability? Where's the accountability to live out what you're learning? Who's walking that journey with you? John MacArthur, Craig Rochelle, Timothy Kell, I could go on. They have no idea you even exist. They have no pastoral care over you at all. They don't love you. They don't have any oversight over you. Discipleship was always designed by God to be done in relationship where you are known, where you are loved, where you are challenged, where you are encouraged, and where you are accountable. So I'm sorry to say the Bible is clear that real discipleship is always done in relationship. Michael Spencer puts it this way. Jesus shaped spirituality. Here's Jesus say, believe and repent. But the call that resonates most closely in the heart of a disciple is, follow me. The command to follow requires that we take a daily journey in the company of other students. It demands that we be lifelong earners and that we commit to constant growth in spiritual maturity. Discipleship is a call to me, but it is a journey of we. I love that last statement. Discipleship is a call to me, but it's a journey of we. It's a journey with God. It's a journey with other Christians where we can encourage and love each other. Crazy thing is this is not a modern day issue either. Paul faced this same issue in the church at Corinth. And in 1 Corinthians 4.15 he says, Though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore I urge you, imitate me. He's speaking to the Corinth church that he deeply loves and has this relationship with. And he's like, there's all these doctrines coming in. There's all these teachers coming in trying to pull you away from the truth. You've got 10,000 instructors, but do any of them love you? Do any of them love you like I love you? Like I care for you. I'm begotten you like a father through Christ Jesus, through the gospel. So the question we need to ask ourselves Who is our father? Who is our mother? Who is our brother or sister in Christ that we can go to? Paul is like, imitate me of how I disciple people in intimate relationship. And we get a little view of of this intimate relationship that he has with his disciple Timothy, that he discipled, that he did life with. And he says in in 2 Timothy 3.10, But you have carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, and afflictions. He's saying, Timothy, you've been with me. You've followed my teaching. You've seen how I've lived my life. You've seen the purpose God has put on me, the faith that God has given me to go out and preach the gospel. You've seen how much I've had to persevere in, in my persecutions. You've been there with me close in that. They did it together in deep relationship. And this deep relationship allows Paul to speak into Timothy's life, even though there are some things that were hard to hear, like times of correction. But Timothy knew Paul loved him. Like to go and have a hard conversation with someone around faith or following Jesus is really difficult if you don't know the person. It's really difficult if you're just going to go over there and point at people and say, you're doing the wrong thing. You know, I have a couple of people that disciple me that spiritually mentor me in my walk with Jesus. And I know that they deeply love me. I know they genuinely have a heart to see me grow in faith and in the likeness of Christ. So, so when they call me out on stuff, I know they're not doing it out of pride. 
Even if I push back, I'm like, no, no, I don't think that's it, even though that's pride. Even when I push back and then they go, no, Scott, this is what's going on, I'm like, okay. I'm in this deep relationship with them that I know they want the best for me. They're pushing me towards Christ. So who are you in relationship with? Who are you pursuing Jesus with? Who's there to love and encourage and challenge and keep you accountable? Because that's the biblical way of discipleship and formation and growth. What if we're a church so sold out for each other that we'd be willing to enter into close relationship with each other that we would see more people more like Jesus? Man, we would reflect Jesus and his disciples. We'd reflect the early church. And we would reflect what Jesus says when he makes this statement, you will know by disciples by the love that they have for one another. Imagine if that was our testimony as a church. Hey, they're disciples of Jesus because of the way they love each other. That would be awesome. Which leads me to the third point. Discipleship is following Jesus. In 1 John 2.6, John tells us, he says, He who says he abides in him should himself also walk just as he walked. So if anyone claims to live in Christ or that they have Christ living in them, if anyone claims to be a Christian, that person should walk just as Jesus walked. It's this call to genuinely follow Jesus. So how do we follow Jesus? How do we walk like Jesus? How do we know how to walk like Jesus? Well, it's through his word, through the Bible. You see, the Bible reveals the ways, the works, and the words of Jesus. The Bible reveals God's will for you personally, but also for his church in the world. And Paul continues this conversation with Timothy when he says, hey, you were with me. You saw how I live life. And he continues and he says to Timothy in verse 14, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. He says, you know where you heard this doctrine from. You heard it from me. You lived with me. We walked together in relationship and I shared the doctrine of Christ with you, but you had the Holy Scriptures from when you were a kid. And the beautiful thing is here, he's talking about the Old Testament. Paul didn't know that his letter was going to become part of our Bible that we read today. So he's talking about the Old Testament. He says about the Old Testament, they're going to make you wise to salvation in Jesus Christ. It's good for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instructions in righteousness, it's complete. It'll make you complete to do all the work that Jesus has called you to do. It's a complete in the fact that we can walk in the ways of Jesus by looking at the man of Jesus in the Bible. In fact, Paul was so confident the work that Jesus was doing in his life and the model of discipleship through relationship, but also through full faith in the Scriptures, that he actually encouraged disciples, if they weren't sure how to do discipleship or what it meant to follow Jesus, that they should follow his example and he would follow Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 11:1, 1, he says, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. When I read this, I think to myself, man, that's a big claim, right? Like Paul's making the claim, seems a little bit arrogant, that like, hey, imitate me because like I'm imitating Christ. Was Paul perfect? No. 
That's not what he's saying here. He's saying, I'm pursuing Jesus. That's every part of me is sold out for that. Follow me as I pursue him. Paul was sold out for discipleship. He was sold out for the gospel. He was sold out for following Jesus. And Paul understood it was a lifelong journey. If you read his writings, he's constantly daily dying to himself to follow Christ. He's saying, hey, if you don't know how to do it, follow me as I follow Jesus. And I have to ask myself the question, could I say, imitate me just as I I also imitate Christ to those that I disciple? Am I living out my faith in such a way that if people followed my example, they'd be actually following Jesus? Could you say that? Do we have people in close enough relationship with us or with me who I'm discipling, who, who observe how I act like Jesus in every area of my life, in every situation of life, how I act at work, when there's stress or there's demands put on me, how I act at church, how I act when I'm playing, when I'm out having a good time, where I'm surfing or spending time with family and friends. Do I have people in close enough orbit to me that, that I could say, hey, follow me as I follow Christ in all those examples? Because this is the simple discipleship model that God came up with. It's just doing life together. It's just being sold out to live like Jesus by knowing his word, his teaching, his ways. And we do that in relationship with each other, simply pointing people to Jesus. We are all disciples of Jesus. So the command to go and make disciples is the command to go and make disciples of Jesus. It's simply encouraging people towards Jesus. It's encouraging people to follow his ways and his works, and his words. It's directing people to be obedient to God's word and God's will through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's just simply making more people more like Jesus. And when we understand this, it actually takes away all the pressure. Like, I don't have to know anything. i just got to keep pushing people towards Jesus. I'm not perfect, but I'm pursuing Jesus and I'm in relationship with others and encouraging them to do the same. You see, this is why Jesus came and died on the cross for us, to restore us back into relationship with the Father. Jesus gives us access to be disciples in the first place through the cross. Sin caused a separation from us and God. Our relationship was broken through sin. And God didn't leave us in that mess. He said, no, I want to restore relationship back with my children. I'm going to come as a man. I'm going to put on flesh And I'm going to absorb the sin of the entire world because I want to restore you back, back to the image of God that I created you in at the beginning. And so Jesus goes to the cross. He takes your sin. He takes my sin. And he buries that in the grave. And when he rose again on the third day in victory over Satan, sin and death, he restores us. He tears the curtain. That partition that stopped us having relationship with God is now done away with. And anyone who repents and puts their faith in Jesus is restored back into this intimate relationship where we are receiving the Spirit. The Spirit of the living God lives in us. Jesus came to set us free from sin, but also transform us back into his image that was lost by sin. This is the beauty of the gospel. You see, salvation doesn't end when you get saved, salvation is actually the start of our journey. It's the start of our transformation. It's the start of our growth back into what God created us to be, our purpose and meaning. And through faith and death in the, in, in, through faith and in the death and burial and resurrection of Christ, we're actually given the gift of the Holy Spirit to help us, this intimate relationship with God. 
And you know what the great thing is? It's not about my glory. It's all about the glory of God. God is glorified through our transformation. We're simply called to help each other on that journey towards Christ-likeness. And because of Jesus' love, his grace and his sacrifice on the cross, we're all disciples commanded to make disciples. You might be saying, okay, how do I do that? What's some simple grabs for me? It's really quite simple. Here's some practical tips are, first, you need to believe in your heart that you are called to grow in your faith and you are actually commanded to make disciples. Unless you believe that in your heart, then you won't move forward. So you've got to come to a place with God and go, yeah, God, I, I believe that you are actually calling me to make disciples. And it's simply finding someone further down the faith road as you. So if you know someone in community, you know someone in the faith, it's always done in relationship, and you see that person, you go, they're chasing Christ. They're further down than me. Hey, would you disciple me? I'd love to, to sit with you and, and learn of how you're pursuing Jesus. Or you might look behind you and go, hey, this person's a new Christian. I'm a little bit further down, and I know them, and I'd love to help them. So you get someone who's behind you and say, hey, do you want to come along? I'd love to help you, guide you in the ways of following Jesus. And if you don't know anyone in front or behind, you can simply just grab someone who's next to you. There's always someone on the same part of the journey as you. And you can come together and go, hey, would you like to journey with me as we pursue Christ together? Would you keep me accountable? Would you help me understand the scriptures? Let's do this life together. And you know what the easiest way to do that, we talk about it all the time, is small groups. Small groups is the easiest way to come into relationship with others other people that know Jesus. And as you walk through the scriptures, as you get to know each other and get a deep bond together, you will walk your way towards Christ. And here's the thing. You can't disciple everyone, and that's okay. Don't stress. I can't disciple the whole church. As the lead pastor here, I can't disciple every single person. But if we look at Jesus' example, he discipled the 70, and then the 12, and then the 3, and then the 1, and they went out and discipled people. It wasn't all down to just one. They all were part of this plan that God has. You say, you can't disciple everyone, and that's okay. But just dream with me for a minute. What if, what if we were all in one discipleship relationship, just one? That would mean every single person in this church would be going in, growing in faith and obedience and hope and grace and love. And if we're a church full of genuine disciples moving towards Jesus, I can't imagine what God would do through this community to touch the entire world. A church full of disciples making disciples. More people, more like Jesus. Church, that excites me. And if you have the Holy Spirit in you, it should excite you too. Because we want to see the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven, in Coolangatta, on the Gold Coast, in our state, nation, and across the world. You know, New Life, the New Life family of churches, we are so passionate about the Matthew 28 commission to make disciples. We've actually developed an intense 12-month discipleship and spiritual formation program. It's to develop our emerging leaders and our passionate disciples, and it's called Catalyst. What we've done is we've developed this in the hope that people would be supercharged in their relationship with Jesus and their discipleship journey, that they would be effective kingdom ambassadors in the areas of influence that they find themselves in. So we're looking at future church planners, future kids' life leaders, future worship leaders, but not just that. We're looking for people to go out into the marketplace, to be effective ambassadors for the kingdom of God. We're looking for doctors, lawyers, mums, dads, uni students, kids in high school, anyone who's willing to move forward the gospel, that's what we want to develop in people. 
And this is the first stage of our leadership development and our discipleship formation strategies, just the first stage. But to tell us more about that, Pastor Michael Hans, the leader of all of our family of churches, he's going to share a bit more about the vision of Catalyst. Who are you becoming? How are you becoming? What is shaping you every day? We are in a moment of pronounced cultural upheaval. What we may fail to realize as the church is that like never before, the society around us is shaping and forming the emerging leaders of tomorrow. This is done through unprecedented digital consumption, through cultural shifts and instability and what we believe and how we think and function as a society. The church in the West is on the decline and cultural Christianity is no longer a thing of the present, but that of the past. But this is not the first time the church has been in a moment like this. No, this has happened before in history. In World War II, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the theologian, was disillusioned with how the church was giving way and bowing to the reign of the Third Reich and the Nazi party. And so he started a countercultural movement of forming the emerging leaders of tomorrow in a place called Finkenwald, where emerging leaders could come, be formed and shaped in the ways of Jesus Christ to become more like Jesus. When Dietrich's friends came along and saw the strict regiment with which he trained and formed these young leaders, they said to him, this is too much. This is too hard. Why are you doing it like this? And Dietrich led them to the top of the hill. And they looked down on what was a training camp for the Hitler youth, where young men and women were trained up in the worldview of the Third Reich. And he said this to them, what we are doing as the church must be stronger than that. This must be stronger than that. Until the good of our formation is stronger than the evil of the formation of the worldview of the Nazi party, they will win. This must be stronger than that. Bonhoeffer understood something important, that if the church does not take formation seriously, then we will be formed by the loudest voice in our world. And for us to see emerging leaders to become more like Jesus, the formation of the church must be stronger than the formation of the world. But this will not happen by accident. We are passionate in your life about raising the leaders of tomorrow by taking seriously their discipleship today. The church should be involved in the raising of emerging leaders for both the ministry and the marketplace. For the planting and thriving of the future of the church and new churches needs both ministry and marketplace leaders to be developed and formed. And this is what Catalyst seeks to do. Catalyst, in short, is a year of discipleship where a cohort of emerging leaders dedicate time to be formed in the way of Christ. Ultimately, Catalyst will have three phases of experiential formation. Knowing God, being a disciple, and leading with wisdom and courage. Asking the question pretty much of how does God form our head, our heart, and our hand. We believe that from Catalyst will come the future church planters, future prime ministers, future lawyers, leaders, builders, doctors, mothers and fathers, and the emerging leaders of tomorrow. It's a ministry that will be filled with retreats, with community, with experiential learning and a deepening of faith and intimacy in the following of Jesus Christ. Friends, if you're interested in knowing how God wants to form your leadership and influence to bless the world of tomorrow and glorify Him, if you're interested in taking your formation seriously, if you're an emerging leader, then Catalyst is for you. We'd love to see you at our first interest night. You can sign up at church.nu slash catalyst.
Hope to see you there. What I love about this initiative is that this is not Michael's vision. This is not Michael's vision only. This is the vision of all our family of churches. And this is not just the vision of all our family of churches. This is the vision that we have for New Life Cool and Gatter. And I would hope it would be the vision that we each and every one of us would carry as a church together. Because it's actually Jesus' vision. It's going to make disciples. And I don't know about you, but this actually excites me because it's the church rising up to be the church that Jesus died for. It's the gathering together of believers from all walks of life in deep relationship with each other, pursuing Jesus and living out that faith in the world. It's disciples making disciples. It's more people, more like Jesus. The question is, will you join the great commission that Jesus is calling you to? To go and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you.